It's an act of obedience for us to go in close to the Lord in prayer. But we also need to stop and realize that because the presence of the Lord is in us, it doesn't matter where we are. We can worship and give praise to Him. He is worthy. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bill, give me just a little more in the monitors, if you will. Shut the mains down some. It's more important that I hear myself uh, because otherwise I'll start screaming. I was uh, ministering in Alaska the first, uh, well, the first night of their camp meeting. They had asked me to preach there, and the sound guy uh, just about destroyed me that night. He, he just kept turning me off, and I didn't think I was doing that bad, but he just kept turning it down and turning it down, turning it down until finally I, I wanted to lay hands on him. But I'm thankful that we have good qualified technicians here at the church and, and they help me to be able to minister uh, to you effectively. So thank you so much. Well, huh? praise the Lord for that. Here's, here's something you don't know about that. Sharon is whistling today because she celebrated 18 years of marriage this week. Is that right? Today? Yeah, that's, that's the reason that she's whistling. Although I do need some advance warning on that because I'm getting to the age where, you know, it, it frightens me just a little bit. I'm only kidding. So anyway, um, thank you for all you guys do up there. I know it's a sacrifice for you to be upstairs and, and doing the things that you do, but it sure makes our worship service go so much better. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like for you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, and uh, we're going to take a look through at verses 11 through 18. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a little idea of why we're talking about this idea of breakthrough. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but on our graphics, I'm seeing, yeah, it's up there this morning, breakthrough is two words and not one. Most of the time when you see this word breakthrough, uh, you see it as one word. But there's a difference and we wanted to approach it a little differently this time. So we're talking about break through. Now there's a difference between breakthrough and a difference between break through. Let me explain to you the difference. Breakthrough is a divine occurrence in our lives. It's just something that God has done. It may be in answer to prayers that we have prayed. It may be a, a uh, harvest of seed that has been sown. Something that we've been waiting for, asking for, pleading for. And God just sends a breakthrough to our lives. Uh, we weren't really anticipating it in the moment that it happened. We, we really even didn't anticipate maybe what it looked like when it happened but it was breakthrough nonetheless. And I'm thankful that I have been able to experience those kinds of things in my life. Breakthrough. Where God just came in on the scene and did something in me and for me that changed my circumstance. But breakthrough, one word, is different than breakthrough, two words. Because breakthrough is more of a process. It's more of you and I making up our minds that we're going to follow the principles of God's Word and that we're going to live according to His precepts and His principles. And, and we begin to realize that as we do that, 
that things begin to get easier for us in many ways. I'm not saying that we won't still fight battles because how many of you know as long as we're alive, we're going to fight battles. The Bible's very clear that the devil is out to kill, steal, and to destroy us. But Jesus came so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So we are overcomers right now in this life. But it calls on us to do some of the things in life that we know are in accordance with God's Word. You know, it saddens me as a pastor, as I see people that know better than to do certain things and live certain ways and be involved in certain activities, when they know in their own spirit that they are to live differently, and yet for whatever reasons, they give in to sin, and they bring cursing, if you will, upon their lives hardship into their lives because of actions that they just won't stop doing. And when I see those kinds of things, I think to myself, boy, if they could ever catch hold of the fact that there is overcoming power in Jesus Christ. There's nothing too difficult for us to overcome if we will just put our faith in him and trust him and do what his word says for us to do. And so when I pray for you, I, I pray for you to make different decisions. I, in my own life, I've had to pray for me. Lord, help me to make a different choice. Help me to make a different decision so that I can accept and receive a different outcome in my life. So as we continue this journey about talking about breakthrough, I want to talk to you today about how important that it is for us to have connections with godly people. Connections with kingdom people. People who believe like we do and believe as we do. And, and moving ourselves from a connection with the world into a connection with the people of God. So let's begin reading Nehemiah chapter 2 beginning at verse 11. <clears throat> it says... So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I, told them of, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been put upon me for good 
and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. <clears throat> and so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach your gospel today to such a wonderful group of people. I thank you, Lord, that you have been so good to us through the years <clears throat> that when we could not do it ourselves, that you gave us the resources and the breakthrough that we needed. And Lord, there are still many things that you want us to do. And there are many things that will require our participation. And I pray that you'll help us to be willing to rise up and build the wall. Not to keep people out, Lord, but if anything, to keep the enemy out. So that this house can be a place of blessing and peace for those who desperately need it. Father, I thank you that you're hearing our prayer today. And that you are helping us to become everything that you have called us to be. What exciting days are ahead before us. Let us be motivated by that thought. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and say, let us rise up and build. Will you tell him that? <clears throat> let us rise up and build. <clears throat> On June the 10th of this month, <clears throat> we will celebrate our ninth anniversary, our ninth birthday as Spirit Life Church of God. Now, without getting into all the details, you know that this is a rebirth of a church that has been here in this community for many years, uh, that had some difficulties, and, and, uh, and we had to kind of reboot and restart. And on June the 10th, we will celebrate nine years, if you can believe that, of God helping us to restore our reputation and our influence in this community. God could have very easily allowed us to die a slow death or a quick death. But he chose to keep us alive. And he allowed us an ample anointing and, an, and ample resources to do what he has called us to do. But I'm telling you that this pastor who has been here for almost nine years with you now is getting refired in my spirit. And we have not yet accomplished what God has, has for us to accomplish. And as we move forward together in the next few weeks and months and even years, I believe that God has more and more for us to do as influencers in this community. But it's going to take more than a pastor, and it's going to take more than a pastor's wife. It's going to take a group of people that are kingdom-minded and want what God wants. I love that song that says, I want what you want no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. I want what he wants, don't you? And so we have to understand that the vision comes from him. He, he gives us breakthrough in those moments when we can't do things on our own, but then he empowers us with anointing that allows us to do what we can do. I preached a series of messages to you a few months back that talked about this idea of interdependence. God doesn't need us to do anything. How many of you know that? He is fully capable of doing everything and anything he wants to do at any time. But he has invited us to work along with him. And we are interdependent in that we depend upon him for the resources and the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that we need to perform his will. 
but then we also have to get out of our seats and pews and do what he has called us to do. Is that true? And so in this idea of breaking through and in this particular passage of scripture today, I want to encourage you and let you know that if you're here by God's anointing and by God's direction, he has a job for you to do. And he will use you in a mighty way in order to build the kingdom of God that he wants built here in this location. So today, let's talk about this idea of connection. Now, I want you to notice in chapter 2 that he had kept most of this under his hat for a period of time. He says himself, Nehemiah does, that I haven't told anybody about this. I haven't, I haven't shared with anyone really other than the king what it is that I'm feeling burdened to do. <clears throat> because I need to get it square in my own mind as to what it is that God wants me to do. And once I understand that, and once I have uh, an understanding of what God is going to use me to do, then I can begin to build the team and share what needs to be done. And this is the process that we see here happening. So he needed this team and he needed these connections to be able to accomplish what God wanted him to do. So I want to I talk to you about this idea of relationships and connections. I was amazed when I went to Alaska. And by the way, I, I wrongly said Wednesday night that they were another country. They're not another country. They're part of the United States. You know that, right? Uh, we're the lower 48 and they're Alaska and they are a part of us. Uh, my wife has given me a hard time about that. She said, do you ever think about what you're saying? And I said, no, when I'm preaching, I just let it fly. You know, it doesn't matter what I say anyway. People are going to hear what they want to hear. I was only kidding. Uh, but Alaska is part of the United States. But when we got there, I was amazed at how many people, ministers and their wives that I already knew that we had connections with. But I was also amazed at the number of people that we were able to connect with for the very first time. And my goal and my understanding is, is that God's given us these connections so that we can help build the kingdom of God outside of our local congregation. And so it's a wonderful thing. Now, there are people, and probably there are some in our church, that you're allergic to other people. You, you really don't like to connect to other people. You really don't like to be around other people. You like to stay in the back room. You like to come to church at the last minute. You like to leave as soon as the pastor says, let us stand and pray. And you really have very few connections in the body of Christ. And the Lord's really been dealing with me about that. Because as your leader, it's my responsibility to encourage you to connect with other people who can, who can, be, uh, who can edify you and who can draw out the giftings and the talents and the abilities that God has given you to use to build His kingdom. And so you're going to be hearing a lot from me over the next few weeks and months about this idea of connections. So you might be saying, well, why do I need to be connected to other people? Why can't I just do my own thing? Uh, I, my son-in-law says something right now that I, you know, I don't really correct him on it because he's my son-in-law and I want him to know that I love him, but I hate it when he says this. He says, you just do you. You just do you. Whatever it is that you say, you just do you. Listen, 
I don't want you to do just you. This is not a body of individuals just doing you. This is the body of Christ that is connected together so that we can work together. The God, God has put this body together with all of us having differing uh, things and abilities and talents. But it is to mesh together to build this team that will work together when we need to. And so this idea of being connected then. There are three things I want to share with you about it today. And the first is this. The reason, one of the reasons that we need to be connected is because there's always too much work to do alone. There's always too much to do alone. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by a situation? Have you ever felt like, I just don't know if I can do this or not? I think we've all felt that from time to time. I'm just overwhelmed by it all. Now, verses 11 through 15, Nehemiah tells us about when he arrives, he begins going through the town. Look what he says. He said, I went to Jerusalem. That was the first thing. He was in Jerusalem for three days. <clears throat> then I arose in the night and had a few men with me. I told no one what God had put in my heart. There was no animal with me but the one I was riding on. And listen, verse 13. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley, inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so I returned. Now the picture that he points is, is that he did not just go somewhere to a high point and look over Jerusalem and say, yep, this is pretty bad. This is looking pretty intimidating. But the scripture tells us that he went to every individual point of breakage so that he could determine exactly what needed to happen in that particular location. And over a period of that time and, and, and putting the list together of all the things that needed to be done, it probably became overwhelming to him the amount of work that needs to be done. You know, I've discovered that in our lives that sometimes if we've got more than one point of breakage in our lives that we can get so discouraged and overwhelmed that we don't try to fix anything. Let me tell you something. If you're young, start now. You have a lifetime where God will help you to be able to overcome some of the weaknesses in your life. Don't accept what the devil tells you about yourself. Don't accept the fear that comes from his hands. Instead, rise up and say, I know that your purpose is to kill me, steal from me, and destroy me. But I'm not about any of that because I have the spirit of the living God living within me. I have the nature of God's kingdom living in me. I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious. I am an overcomer. So every time that you come against me with this nonsense, I'm going to throw it right back in your face and tell you who I am in Jesus Christ. I am an overcomer, and I will not listen to the voice of the enemy as he attempts to speak into me. 
I'm sure it would have been easy for Nehemiah to say, God, you must have talked to the wrong guy because I've been through this city all night long and I see all the breakage that is there. I see one gate broken. I see a gate burned by fire. I see a wall that's been torn down. I see devastation all around me. God, surely you must need someone other than me to restore this and to bring this thing back to life. But that's not what God wanted. What God wanted was for Nehemiah to stand and rise and get men and women around him who were filled with the anointing and the power of God to do what each one of them were called to do to bring restoration. But it starts with you. If you refuse to be a part, if you refuse to overcome your own personal mess, then you'll never be able to be a part of the team in the kingdom of God. Start with yourself and say, Lord God, there's breakage in my life. There's bondage in my life. There are things that have broken me. Situations that have come against me that caused me to feel insecure and unable to accomplish what I need to accomplish. But today I determine in my mind that I am going to overcome. I'm not going to be destroyed by the voice and the will of the enemy. Give the Lord praise in the house today if you're an overcomer. There's always too much. There's always too much. My wife was cleaning the house the other day, and she cleaned the front two rooms, the living room, and she cleaned the kitchen, and she actually a few more rooms than two. She cleaned the dining room, and she got it all. It's looking good. I caught her in the middle of it when I came home. Uh, usually when I walk in the door, she says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've missed you so much. You're such a good-looking man and strong and buff and talented. And she usually greets me that way and a big kiss on the, on, on the lips and all that. Hey, if you believe that, I've got some property in Florida I need to sell you. She came, she opened, I, she was there and I opened the door and came in and she said, are you home? She said, you got to wait outside for a few minutes. I just did the floors and it ain't time for you to be home or to be coming in here. So I had to sit on the front porch for a while. <clears throat> when I was eventually allowed to come in to the home, by the way, that I call home with her, I came in and she said, I think I'm too tired to do the bedrooms today. She said, I just think I'll let the bedrooms go till tomorrow. Now, she wasn't necessarily overwhelmed by it, but how many of you know that sometimes you just get tired of dealing with the same mess and the same garbage and you need a change of scenery? You want to do something different than scrub floors and do laundry and you want to see something different happening in your life. Well, let me tell you something today. God has given you the ability to see something different than the junk that the devil has thrown in your pathway if you will rise up and take your authority over it in Jesus' name. Overwhelming. Secondly, how many of you know that we were created to do life together? We, you weren't created to live in a hole by yourself. That's what snakes do. I, we, you know, you were created to interact with people. And it's time for some of you to get over yourselves and your problems and start interacting with people. 
I'm not trying to be mean today. I've asked the Lord to help me to present this to you in a positive way so that you don't feel condemned, but that you feel feel inspired by the fact that God has enabled you and allowed you and anointed you to interact with other people based on who they are and based on who you are. But we sometimes as humans, we get intimidated by the fact that someone might be able to sing better than I can. Or someone's makeup looks better than my makeup. And that's just the guys. Or that someone else is more talented than I am. Or that someone else's hair looks better than mine. And we can get so bent out of shape by this comparison game that we don't ever try to interact with anybody else because we're afraid it might make us look less of a person than we are. Let me tell you that that too comes from the enemy of your soul. Because there is power, there is authority when we are able to interact with other people without feeling bad about ourselves. God did not create you to be them. He did not create you to look like them. God did not create you to sing like them. God did not inspire you to write like they write. He called you to be who you are and gifted you the way that you are because you have a place in the kingdom of God where he wants to use you. We've been called to do life together. I'm, I, I, now, here's where you're going to get very uneasy and very uncomfortable. But I want to see our church get more friendly with other people. I do. I, 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 when people come into our church, I want us to welcome them with open arms. You say, well, isn't that what the greeters are for? They're the first point of contact, yes. They're the ones that are stationed at the door to say, good morning, how are you? In fact, we just had a training meeting with them this last Wednesday night. And just for the fun of it, I went outside, came in the door, and I said, Hello, my name is Rob. This is the first time I've ever been here. I'm visiting. I need uh, some help in getting me where I need to go. And one of them said, looked at me and said, Where would you like to go? And I said, To the bathroom. (laughs) And she looked at me a little bit like I'd lost my mind. But then she said, Come on, I'll take you. Now listen, that's a little bit too friendly, maybe. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that we need to do life together. God has put us in the body of Christ so that we can function in our role. But we cannot function in our role if we never interact with other people. So I want you to stop seeing people as someone to avoid because of your own insecurities most of the time. But I want you to see them as someone that I need to get to know them. I might understand something about them that I did not know about them. For instance, let me just give you some ideas. Did you know that we have people in our congregation that have children who are addicted to drugs and they have to deal with that every day of their life? Don't you know that you could pray for them and understand their their circumstance so much better if you knew their backstory? Did you know that we have young men and women who are single parents who are raising children on their own? 
and they have to get up every day and go to work and work a job all day and come home and put dinner on on the table for children uh, with no help whatsoever. They are doing this job without anyone coming alongside of them. And don't you believe that you could be burdened for them and pray for them and, and reach out to them so much better if you knew a little bit about them and their backstory? Did you know that we have people that struggle financially just to make ends meet? And though you may not have a whole lot either to give, you can pray for them and you can encourage them and you can lift them up. You know, one of the most encouraging things for me is to know that I'm not alone fighting a particular battle. I'm not glad that other people are facing it too, but what I am glad is that there is strength when we bind ourselves together. Did you know that the Bible says that, that when we pray, that it, it, any, anything is possible to any two who will agree as touching one thing on earth? That's what the Bible says. So if I have somebody and uh, I'm poor and they're rich, it's hard for me to agree when they're driving Lamborghinis and I'm pedaling my bicycle. It's hard for me to agree with them. But when I've got somebody else riding their bicycle and I'm riding my bicycle, we can agree together that we need the blessing of God upon our lives. So what I'm asking you to do over the next few months is to get out of your comfort zone and to find out... I. I in Southern Illinois, where I'm raised, we used to say this all the time. I double dog dare you. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's what we said. I double dog dare you to get out of your comfort zone and find some people who are a member of our church that you don't know and you don't know anything about them and you'd like to, to meet them and build a relationship with them. I'm going to help you do that. Now, this summer, we're going to enter into a program, and this is not about announcements. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to teach you a spiritual principle here that if we can take hold of and grab hold of, it can bring victory in our lives. But this summer, on our Wednesday night sessions, we're going to be doing life together is what we're calling it. Just life together. Every Wednesday night, we're going to meet together to eat food at 6.30 up to 7 o'clock. And at 7 o'clock, we're going to have someone who doesn't typically preach or teach or speak to give us their life story in about 10 to 12 minutes. We're going to have them stand up and say, my name is Forrest Gump. I was raised in such and such city. I have a family of 14. I own Bubba Gump's Shrimp Company, and, uh, and this is who I am. And, and they're going to tell us a little about themselves. They're going to tell us when they were born again. I was born again in California in 1976 on a Thursday night at a convocation. The Lord got a hold of my heart and life and changed me completely. I can tell you exactly where it happened. There are some of you, you can't tell when it happened. You came out of the womb saved, or at least you thought you did. And so we're going to find out. We're going to ask them to share their favorite passage of Scripture with us and tell us the significance of that Scripture and what it means to them. It may be a Bible study like David and Goliath and how that it has connected with them through the years. And then we're going to pray together. And after we pray together, we're going to go and we're going to play games. We're going to play pickleball. We're going to play cornhole. We're going to play bocce ball on the stage. We're going to play basketball. We're going to, we're going to do different things. And the whole 
whole point is, is that we're just going to be up next to people that we don't really know, and we're going to get them in our spirit. You say, I don't like it. I don't want to. If there's no Bible study, and if we're not going to shout and scream and hoop and holler, I don't need it. But let me tell you, the most wonderful thing in the world that you can have in the kingdom of God is relationships with kingdom-minded people. I'm not going to get mad at you if you don't do it, but I'm going to be disappointed if several people don't say, you know, there are a lot of people in this church that I need to get to know because I cannot be burdened for them. I cannot relate to them in the way that I need to if I don't connect And so I'm asking you to come and do life with us. And not just that. Look around you this morning. I want you to see empty seats that are usually full. You say, well, that's the reason we pay you good money, Pastor, is so that you'll call them and tell them to get to church. Would you believe that I do that on a regular basis? I call people. I say, hey, I'd love to do church with you tomorrow. I've texted people, I Facebook people, and there's just something about when the pastor does it that rather than inspiring them to want to come, it makes them feel a little bit guilty because they haven't been coming. But someone like you, when you call them or drop them a card in the mail and say, hey, I've been missing you at church. I'd love to see you. Why don't you join us this summer? Because we're doing life together. We're enjoying life as a body of Christ together. If you would do that, it would be amazing how people would feel comfortable in coming and being a part of our worship experiences and more importantly, the church. And so I'm asking you, let's do life together. You say, how are you getting that out of Nehemiah? Well, thank you for asking. The Bible tells us very clearly that once the burden had been established in his heart, what needed to be done, then he started telling people what needed to be done. And he went to people that had special giftings and special abilities to build the wall. Now, we won't read it in its entirety today, but today when you have an opportunity or this week, read chapter 3 because it talks about some of the people that he went and talked to. And it gives all of these Old Testament names, one after another after another after another. And it says that this one worked next to this one and this one worked next to this one and that one worked next to this one and it told what they did but there's one verse in there that says these people would not serve the Lord or their nobles Can I just tell you that no matter where you are, no matter what church it is, there are going to be people who are called and they'll get up and they'll do and they they will work and they will participate. But there's always going to be those people who will refuse to stand up and serve. Let me tell you something. In fact, on the way to church today, my wife was telling me, we always talk about what I'm going to preach. She tells me what I can say and what I can't say. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. I give her information so that she can know how uh, to, to lead the altar service and all that. But I'm, I'm preaching. Stand up with me, if you will. Come on, you can do it. Come on. Come on, baby. You're so good. When I got finished, when I got finished saying what I was going to say today, she said, it reminds me of a song that I used to know when I was a kid. I want you to tell about that song. Just uh, take one minute. You can do it. Do I have to sing it? You don't have to sing it. 
good. <laughs> there was an old song that my church sang when I was growing up, and it was called Little Is Much. No, that's not it. No. Empty Hands. Empty Hands. Empty Hands. And it said, Empty Hands, pay no homage to the king. Empty Hands, never tribute to him bring. Till the end of time for me, this my prayer will ever be. Let me never face my God with empty hands. And that, it, that was, I told him, I said that in, as a child, as a very young child, that got in my spirit. And I never want to go to heaven with nothing to lay at his feet. And I'm sorry I cried. <laughs> I cried. Did you know that? That's your ministry gift. <laughs> it's one of my ministry gifts. But we, <laughs> we should never, ever forget that we have a purpose and that when we get to heaven, we're not saved by works, by what we do. But we are in response to what he, done, he has done for us. He's done so much for me. How can I not turn around and do for him? If he asks me to do one little small thing and I do it in his name, I will lay it at his feet one day. And it will bless him and honor him then and now. Amen. Isn't that good preaching? You see, the work of the kingdom takes place through people like us who have been anointed and gifted to do his work. So we are meant to do life together. And then the final point this morning, and if the musicians want to, well, get, give me a couple minutes because I'm not done preaching yet. I'll give you a sign when it's time. Sing that old country song, Here's Your Sign. <laughs> How many of you have heard your whole life that we can change the world? Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah. It's not true. We can't change the world. The world is as it is. And it's always going to be as it is until Jesus comes. I don't know if you know this or not, but there will be more people in hell for eternity than there are people in heaven for eternity. And we live in a world that is hell-bound in their actions and act attitudes and activities. And the church is sent in the middle of all of that to have an influence. And that's what I want to say to you today. We can't change the world, but we can influence the world. The, 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 the scripture tells us that Jesus went to particular communities where he could not do any mighty works there because the people were not open to those things. They had no faith. They were doubters. They were unbelievers. And so even though he had their answer and he had what they needed to overcome, they would not receive it and could not receive it. And therefore, he could do no mighty works among them. There's another passage of Scripture where Jesus says, you know, you're always going to have the poor among you. There's never going to come a day where we will feed every hungry mouth where we'll be able to help every needy individual. It's never going to happen. But God has given us a realm of influence that he has called us to. I can't change the world or influence the world somewhere else, but I can influence the world right here in Louisville, Kentucky. I can influence the world where I live. And God has called us to do that. 
Carolyn, I want you to come. Elizabeth, come stand over here if you will. I want, I, I want you to help me preach today. Where are you going? Well, you come on up here because I'm going to... You come however you want to, girl. Oh, I got you. The rail. I got you. I've learned something about women through the years. You just let them have their way, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Have your way. I, I know that what I'm about to share with you will seem very unspiritual to you, but, but if, if that's the way it seems to you, you're not seeing it the way I think you need to. God has given us the ability to influence this community. Now, it may not be that because we're a mega church and we're running thousands and thousands of people, we may not have uh, the, the, the most resources and all of those kinds of things, but what God has called us to do is in this community, and we are doing it. And I wanted to give an opportunity today to share with you some of the things that we're doing from a visionary meeting that we held uh, about four years ago. You remember we did five years of favor and we talked about all of that season when it didn't, we didn't know if we were going to make it or survive or not and God just kept pouring out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. But after five years, we talked about five years forward. And two of the things that we talked about was the establishment of a child care center and the establishment of a school. Why? Because we understand that if we can get a child in our child care center at birth and keep them through the end of fifth grade, we will have 11 years to influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's happening before our very eyes. And I've asked Carolyn to tell a couple of stories about what God has done through her graduating class. Was this the third graduating class now, the Child Care Center? Three years we've graduated these kids through. Tell a couple of stories, if you will. Well, I was very, very, very honored at this graduation for this particular class. Each class is special, of course, but I've watched this group grow spiritually in a way that Sorry, I'm like Donna, <laughs> that I have not witnessed in any, all the years that I have taught in preschools and, and schools. Um, we, this year, have started learning Bible verses and memory verses. We sing songs of worship. And we also teach, uh, when we went over the Ten Commandments, we specifically continue to talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Earlier this week when I knew we were going to, uh, well, let me back up and tell you one, one story. I had a situation that I needed a prompt answer. You know, sometimes God says, well, you'd have to wait. But this particular situation that I had, circumstance, I needed an answer promptly. And because it even dealt with me doing my job, and uh, Miss Laura, who's our assistant to uh, Pastor Jonathan, she said, let me take over your class. You go home and see if you can get this resolved. I came back, and it was not resolved, and I was, I was still troubled. And she told me, she said, while you were gone, the students said, Miss Laura, we need to join hands, and we need to pray. I have students in my class that know how to pray. I have several that will lead in prayer. 
I've got one that starts at Father God. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I am so proud of these kids. They have Jesus in their heart. They know that Jesus has forgiven them of their sins. They know why he died on the cross. They know he rose. They know that he's coming back and that we're going to meet him in the clouds. They know that. And I thought to myself, I had, this is kind of a funny, but when I stand in the bathroom doorway because I have kids in the hallway sitting, waiting their turn to go to the bathroom. And then I have some that I'm watching in the bathroom, making sure that they're washing their hands and all that. And so as, as one of the little girls was coming out, I just, you know me, I'm goofy. I laid hands on her and I said, touch her, Jesus. Well, she responded and fell out in the spirit. <laughs> she was just following the lead. It wasn't actually, well, you know, I can't say. It could have been. But in the anointing, but it triggered my thought as we were getting ready to do graduation Thursday night. I thought, you know what? They might come thinking the kids are going to get up and show something academically. We actually came and we quoted Bible verses. We sung Bible songs. And I thought, you know, my kids could have surprised them and brought church. They could have preached. They could have sang. And, of course, they could have took up an offering. But uh, seriously, I have watched them grow. And I believe that through the school, we, everything we do here is going to help it's going to follow, it's going to lay the foundation for the school because everything we do is Bible-based and it's preparing their hearts and minds to serve the Lord. Yeah, amen. And we, we have several employees of the child care center who attend church. They could make more money elsewhere. They could do other things but they're here because they say that God has called them to this ministry. And they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, I, I remember the story you told me about the little red-headed girl and how that uh, there were times because she is so emotionally sensitive that you talk about Jesus or the things of the kingdom and, and she'll just tear up and start crying because she has a deep love for Jesus. So I'm telling you some good things are happening. Liz, come and tell us about some things uh, that's going on at the school. I'm still preaching, by the way. Don't anybody leave. We're going to pull this thing together in a minute. Well, um, we've started small. Um, we had four students. We now have three because one of them moved. She had to move to Arizona. It was really sad. But we started small, and every time that I tell someone, people will ask me, you know, how many kids do you have? And I'll say four, and they're like, oh. You know, and I realize, yeah, that's starting small. You have to start somewhere, but... Also, like all throughout the school year, I just look at the kids and I think, you know, these are four kids, but each child has two parents. They have siblings. They have aunts and uncles. And just like Carolyn said, everything that we do is, is Bible-based, and they, they absolutely love it. And, you know, um, one is a member here, and so her parents are very grounded, and it's a faith-based home, but not all of them are that way. They're wonderful families, but it's just been really cool to see um, what God's doing in them through our Bible lessons. We do that first thing in the morning, and we have a Bible lesson. We sing, and we memorize Bible verses. They have memorized a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet. So it's 26 Bible verses, five- and six-year-olds. It's really awesome. And, but it's not just memorization because they're, I tell them all the time, yes, we're memorizing this, but you need to know it because the Bible says to hide the Word of God in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. You always have that with you. It can never, ever be taken away. 
And they love, any, any of them, all four of them, they'll say that Bible is their favorite time of day. Um, they sit, and some of the lessons are a little longer, and I, their attention span is, they're riveted on the, not me, on the Word of God and what God is saying to them through the lessons. And um, it's so funny, too, that he's preaching on this today because our uh, last Bible lesson that we had, and well, we're doing ones on missions right now, but the one we did a, le- a series on Christ. And so the very last one about that was when he ascended into heaven. And the last thing that he did was he commissioned the disciples. And I explained to the children, you know, Jesus told them to start here and then go a little further and then go a little further and then go a little further. And I'm explaining to them and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, this is what we're doing. We're starting here. And when you put that in these children, children who don't necessarily um, take part in this body of Christ, well, this local body of Christ, and they're moving out, and they share it with their parents. I get messages from parents um, all the time, you know, uh, that they're sharing what God said to them today, or what Miss Liz told me that, did you know this about God? Miss Liz told me this, and Miss Liz told me that. It's just really awesome to see, you know, and it's not just in the Bible lesson. We have that concentrated Bible lesson in the morning to start our day thinking about God, and then everything else connects down through every subject. We have Bible verses in every book. Our science lesson talks about God's plan for the world. And it's just, it's amazing. Amen. So. Amen. <laughs> and, and I'm so glad to be a part of what God is doing. And this is just the beginning. We have children who want to be a part of our school that many of them cannot come or some of them cannot come because of finances. And I believe the Lord's laid upon my heart to begin some scholarship funds so that people can give into those funds so that when we have people that have need, we can minister to their child. You see, you say, well, I'd rather just come to church and shout. I really would. I just would rather come and hear you blubber all over the place and make me feel good and give me uh, chill bumps and that kind of thing. But listen, when we get to heaven, God really is not going to be concerned with how many chill bumps you had. He's going to want to know, were we faithful to the opportunities that he has given to us? And you've noticed today, I'm trying to keep my voice low this morning. I'm trying not to act like I'm screaming and all that kind of stuff, because I don't want anybody to go out of here misinterpreting what pastor is saying to you. I want you to understand that God has opened doors of opportunity for us that we have to be faithful to. And we have to do what he has called us to do. There's a guy next door that owns a piece of property that we've been trying to get. And I told you a couple years ago, I said, let's just start praying for him that the Lord would bless him. I said, I would love for him to be mowing the grass one day and just say, look, I'm tired of mowing this grass. It's too much. I think I'm just going to sell this to the church and be done with it. This past week, he was standing out by the fence and he was asking us about a couple of things on our side of the fence and all that. And somewhere in the conversation, he said to Jonathan, Pastor John, he said, well, you know, I've offered to sell you this property. And Jonathan looked at him and he said, and when we get the money, we're going to buy it. (laughs) We don't have the money yet, but I believe God's going to open a door. Can't you see a beautiful soccer field over there? for our kids to play on and run. Can't you see the expansion of the kingdom of God that can take place? But God has to do it. 
And God is able to do it. But it requires people who are willing to be involved in that process. I want to close with this story. Because I found that so many people will not get involved for one of two reasons. Either they don't want to be bothered with it. I I just don't want to take the time to serve. I don't want to take the time to teach a Sunday school class. I don't want to have to come to choir rehearsal. I don't want to come and do this and this and this. It's inconvenient for me. And so, therefore, I just don't want to do it. Can I tell you that the bottom line behind an attitude like that is a spiritual problem? I said that as calmly as I possibly could so that you would know that I'm not mad. Sometimes we deal with spiritual problems that we need to overcome, right? That we need to break through. If God has anointed me to do this, then if the only reason that I'm not doing it is because I don't want to do it or I don't feel like doing it or whatever the case may be, that's a spiritual problem. But then on the other hand, there are people who are afraid to do it. Can I tell you that that too is a spiritual problem? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When I was state youth director in West Virginia, we were running summer camps all summer long, kids coming in, hundreds of kids every year coming in, getting saved, getting sanctified, getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of them called to the ministry. Did you know that more Church of God young people get called to full-time active ministry at youth camp than in any other setting. They feel this sense of calling and purpose and destiny on their lives. But there's this one church, they would always bring their kids every year, but there was one mother that she would ride up with a group and she'd have her, her kid there, but she would never let her kid come. It wasn't because the kid wanted to, because the kid's over there saying, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. Let me stay, Mom. Please let me stay. But she'd never let the child stay because of her own fear that something might happen. He might fall and break his arm. He might sprain an ankle. He might get stung by a bee. He might, he might, he might. And this fear drove the decisions that she made. And she wasn't helping her child. She was, in fact, hurting her child by taking this approach. So one year, I talked to her and I said, I've got an idea. I said, I'm going to be straight up with you. The reason that your child is not coming to camp is simply because you're afraid something bad is going to happen. I want to ask you, does the scripture say that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind? Yes. I said, I want to make a suggestion to you. Why don't you volunteer to come and be a camp counselor? I said, we'll put you in one of the rooms and we'll make sure that your child is in the room with you. I'll put you down the hall with some of the veteran uh, campers and they will lead you through. They will help you through. They'll teach you everything that you need to know. Let me pray about it, she says. She prayed about it and it wasn't long after I got an application in my office from that lady to be a a counselor at camp. And she came that year And her child was in youth camp, had a terrific experience, but that lady became one of the best youth camp counselors that I have ever worked with in all of the 15 years that I ran camps. Why? 
because she realized that the devil had been trying to prevent her from doing what God had enabled her to do all because of fear. And when she analyzed it and understood it, she realized that the only thing holding her back was fear from doing. And when she got over that and let God work in her, with her, and through her, she realized what a wonderful blessing that she could be and the anointing that she had upon her life. Now I close simply with this. We need you. And we need you more than just to come and sit on the pews. I'm glad you enjoy the church. I'm glad that you like the music. I'm glad you occasionally get a little, I started to say chigger bite, but I, that, I got a chigger bite right there and it's driving me nuts, but it's not a chigger bite. Chill bumps, I'm glad you get all those. I'm glad you feel good about that. But listen, we gotta be busy for the kingdom of God. We have to be faithful to the God, to the call that, that he has given us. And I believe that if this, this body will rise up and take their rightful place and operate in the gift that God has given them, man, I'll tell you, the sky is the limit as to what we can do and how we can impact this city. I believe it with all my heart. What has God called you to do? Let me point out one final thing that Nehemiah told them the vision. He told them what God had laid upon his part to do. And he said, let us rise up. And that's all he said, let us rise up. And the people said, let us rise up and build this wall. Listen, people, we know what the vision is. We know what God's called us to do. I can stand up here week after week and plead with you and beg with you and ask you, please, please, please. But you know when it's going to happen? It's going to happen when this congregation stands up and says, Pastor, that's God's vision. Let's rise up. Let's get it done. You need money? I'm a giver. I'll give it. You need hands? I can do it. I'll build. You need educators? I can take care of these little children on Sunday morning and teach them the Word of God. You need singers? I can sing back up, way back up in the woods where nobody can hear me. What is it that you need, Pastor, to see the fulfillment of the vision that God has given us? And as people begin to rise up and do, the kingdom of God is going to spread and expand because of the influence that we have in the lives of the people of our community. Will you stand with me this morning? I give myself away.